Once upon a time, a boy met a girl, and they fell in love when they met at a party one night. Their names were Romeo and Juliet. Unfortunately, one was a Montague, and the other was a Capulet, two families who gave new meaning to family feud as they warred with one another. <clears throat> Their love, because of the families they were born into, their love was a forbidden love, but it was also a love that could not be denied. They decided to elope and to get a fresh start away from all of this family stuff. And in the meantime, old hatreds erupted and one thing led to another. And in the end, two people lay dead, one from each family. Romeo was separated from his true love and banished from the city, and a more suitable marriage was arranged for Juliet. And the plot thickened, and complications ensued, until one day Juliet consumed a drug that left her in a dreamlike sleep on the eve of what would have been her wedding day to the suitable candidate. Unfortunately, Romeo failed to get the message explaining that it was just a fake death, and he poisoned himself at her mock funeral. Juliet woke up from her drug-induced sleep, and when she found Romeo dead, she stabbed a dagger into her heart and died a tragic death. The story of Romeo and Juliet was a tale created in Shakespeare's imagination a long time ago, but it was recreated and updated in a hit movie, you may remember, West Side Story. The Montagues and the Capulets have been replaced by two New York street gangs, the Sharks and the Jets. Maria is a daughter of the Sharks. She fell in love with Tony, a relative of the Jets, but again, their love was doomed by hatred and gang rivalry. Once again, in the final showdown, death got the upper hand, and three lay dead in the aftermath of a gang rumble in the local schoolyard. There's a little bit of hope towards the end of that musical, as Maria holds Tony in her arms as he lies dying, and you can hear the strains of a beautiful song called Somewhere. Somewhere there's a place for us, a time and place for us. We'll find a new way of living. We'll find a way of forgiving. Somewhere there is a place. And without that word of hope, when death is seen at the end, there is this utter feeling of hopelessness. There's nothing, if there's nothing beyond life as we know it, what then is the point of it all? If we're here today and gone tomorrow, if our years do pass away like a sigh, as one of the psalmists said, what is the meaning of our lives? If you know me, you know I'm a t-shirt reader, and I remember seeing a sign on a t-shirt that says, first we live, then we die, period. And I think, 
That is awful. Because if that is true, there is no happy ending to our story. But I want to share another story with you. It's, again, a once upon a time story. And it's a story about a handsome young Russian named Nicholas who met and married a very pretty young lady named Natalie. He was a tall, aristocratic being who could have passed for a nobleman or a count in pre-revolutionary Russia. And Natalie had this classic beauty that not even the ravages of cancer could destroy. His love for her had spanned a lifetime it had crossed an ocean, it had survived revolution and war and immigration to a new land, as well as the ravages of aging and disease. But now, towards the end of their lives, Natalie lay dying. And this, my friends, is no fairy tale or Broadway musical. It's a real life story that happened one Easter before I retired. And it happened in the nursing home where my mother spent the last few years of her life. And it was uh, about an hour and a half north of the city of Toronto. For me, the story began <clears throat> when I got home from church after a busy Easter season and a hectic week of ministry. And I have to tell you, maybe Hope or Sung have already let you in on this little secret. Most ministers are brain dead on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> We just, blah, 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 blah. The, the, uh, the goal of our life is to find a quiet corner, preferably alone, and just kind of crawl into it and just kind of have a little alone time, a little downtime, and kind of re-energize before we do anything else. And the other thing I have to let you in on is distances. We live in the country, and relatively speaking, if we lived here, the church where I worked was over here, east of Toronto, and the nursing home where my mother was was up here, north of Toronto. So I would put a lot of mileage on my car in the days when I was working and, and looking after my um, frail mother. So anyway, this, uh, this Sunday afternoon I got home quite exhausted, and something with the capital S someone with a capital S urged me to, you better go and visit your mother. And I argued with this little inner voice for a while. And finally, I just said, you might as well go because you're not going to get any peace otherwise. So I went to sit with my mom for a while. And the curtain was drawn around her bed as I talked with her. And she was fine. She just dozed in on and off as I kept her company. And it was just one of those ordinary visits, nothing special. And I began to question that little voice and that urgency that compelled me to go in spite of my exhaustion. As the visit drew to an end, I got up to leave. And I met this tall man by the door. He introduced himself as Nicholas. And he had come to visit his wife, who was the roommate of my mother. And he was crying. He began to cry as he told me about Natalie, the love of his life. Soon she was going to leave him. He knew that. And he could not bear the thought of life without her. 
I tried to comfort him with words of hope and faith. I tried to tell him that, you know, this is just a, a temporary separation. And I suggested that perhaps he could think of it as, you know, they've gone on a separate vacation and she's gone ahead and he'll meet up with her a little bit later on, that there will be a reunion on the other side of what was happening there in the room. All he could do was cry. And he wrapped his arms around me, this stranger, with this great big Russian bear hug, and he was holding on to me as if his life depended on it. And then he finally stepped back, and he said, do you believe all that stuff? I said, yes. I said, I wouldn't be a minister of the gospel if I didn't. But I have to admit that I, I really didn't look very ministerial that Sunday afternoon. I had my old sweatshirt on, my old sweatsuit, and dirty running shoes, and I was just trying to sneak in and out for a little visit and then crawl back to my study for my downtime. So I didn't look very ministerial. <clears throat> but anyway, he, he says, well, you know, I really, really wish that I could believe that stuff, but I don't. And then he cried even more, insisting that there was no such thing as an afterlife. There was nothing beyond the grave. There was no hope. There was no promise. And there was nothing but incredible sadness and loss. I said, well, Nicholas, I said, I've just got to tell you that you are dead wrong. And if you could believe, even if you could believe just a little itsy-bitsy bit, one day you are going to have the biggest surprise of your life. He said, ah, I wish. He says, but I have no faith. So I told him about a man in the Bible and his struggle to believe. He had gone to Jesus for a miracle healing for his child. And when Jesus turned to him and said, do you believe that I can do this? The man turned to Jesus and said, well, yeah, yeah, I believe, but... Help me in my unbelief. And so Jesus met him where he was. I went on to talk to Nicholas, and I told him that faith was a gift that he could actually ask God for, and God would give it to him. And I told him that I would pray for him. And then we parted. I thought I would see him again. But the next time I went up to the nursing home, the bed was empty, and Natalie had passed on. And I thought, ah, that explains that sense of urgency I had that Sunday. Now, I never found out how the story ended. But you know something? I know I will one day. There's a little postscript to this story. When I arrived home that Sunday afternoon, I crawled up to my study, lay down on the couch, and I casually opened a book that I had left lying around, and I turned to a page on which was written a story about the, a child's version of the meaning of Easter. 
And it was a little story about a three-year-old who had, was getting all excited about Easter. And she went to her dad and said, you know, Daddy, I can't wait for Easter. And the father turned to her and said, well, do you, do you know what Easter means? And the little girl said, sure I do. He said, well, tell me, what does it mean? And with a smile on her face and her arms stretched wide, she says, Easter means surprise. <laughs> what better way to sum up the meaning of Easter? Surprise, death. Surprise, sin. Surprise, mourning disciples. Surprise, everybody. Surprise, Nicholas. You know, once upon a time, a man lived in Galilee. And he was a man like no one before or since. His name was Jesus. And he wanted to change the world. He wanted to turn sad endings into happily ever after endings. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And his family and friends wept when their lives were shattered by his death. They wept as we all weep for what might have been. They wept for what they had lost. And they wept at their own helplessness in the face of death. On the third day after his untimely death, in the early gray hours of the morning, his good friend Mary went to the graveyard, unable to stay away any longer. And the stone that was guarding the tomb was rolled away. Questions started coming to her. Was it grave robbers that did this? Perhaps. Was it the authorities that just wanted to keep a lid on things? Could be. Mary didn't know what to think. She went for help and returned with Peter and John. Peter outran, John outran Peter to the tomb, and he paused at the edge and looked in. Peter looked in, he entered, and he was amazed to find that the tomb was empty. And John started thinking, well, if someone had removed a body of Jesus, why in the world would they leave the grave clothes, the shroud that had covered the body? For the linens were lying just as they had, still in their folds where the body had been laid. They weren't tossed aside and removed, but they were exactly where they would have been if the body of Jesus remained where it had been laid three days earlier. John put two and two together, and he came up with the right answer. He saw the evidence, and he was the first to believe in the resurrection, even though he didn't really understand what had happened there. The two disciples returned home, but Mary stayed. She wept outside the tomb. Eventually, she looked in. And she saw two angels in white, one at the head of Jesus, 
were at the body and one at the foot. And they asked her, why are you weeping? And she said, well, I just don't know where my Lord is. And then when she turned away from the death scene, she saw Jesus. And at first her vision was clouded by her grief-stricken tears. Jesus said to her, Oh, why are you weeping? She said, tell me where he is. Just tell me where he is. And he called her by name, Mary. And when she heard her name on his lips, she recognized her living Lord. She saw and she believed. And she was the first person to see the risen Christ and she was commissioned to go and tell what she had seen. My friends, this Easter story is no fairy tale. It is true. And because it is true, the shroud has been laid aside. Death has been swallowed up in victory, and tears of loss and sorrow will be wiped dry. It doesn't mean that we don't cry. It doesn't mean that we don't feel sadness. We still grieve deeply the loss of a loved one. But we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Since we are assured that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have died. And there will be one joyous heavenly reunion. We are God's witnesses to the resurrection, called to testify to what we have seen and heard and experienced about this new life in Christ. And what we know to be true should point others to the risen Christ in the world today, just as he was that first Easter morning. Death never ever has the last word. The last word is life. Death is not the end. Death is not goodbye. Rather, death is adieu, adieu to God. Death is until we meet again. And the fitting end to our once upon a time story is and they lived happily, eternally, ever after. Thanks be to God for his amazing grace and love made known in Jesus Christ. Amen.